0: Hi there, it's Catherine Elsden, the minister at Bethel Maidstone United Church. We are a small church with a big heart located in Maidstone, Ontario, and this podcast is your way to connect to our weekly worship. This episode is the fourth in a series entitled Food for the Soul. We're exploring food and drink in the ancient world, in scripture, in our everyday lives to understand its significance for our faith. This sermon was preached on World Food Sunday and explores fish in the stories of Jesus. today's gospel story is Feeding the 5,000. And this is the only miracle story found in all four gospels. So that tells us something, right? That tells us how important this story was to the early church. The version we're hearing today is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, and by this, he's referring to the death of John the Baptist. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, He looked up to heaven, blessed, and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, this is the fourth in our sermon series, Food for the Soul. We looked at table fellowship and belonging. We looked at foods, bread, and wine, and today's theme is fish. And seafood and fish aren't necessarily a large part of our culture here in southwestern Ontario, though of course there is the fishing industry in Lake Erie. However, that is not the case in the Maritimes. I'm sure we have all been tracking the conflict going on right now between lobster fishermen indigenous and non-indigenous fishermen in the Maritimes and the appalling use of violence and harassment in that dispute. Pete and I lived out in Nova Scotia for a year in, uh, in my internship year, and we really enjoyed living near the ocean for the reason that we had such access to seafood and fresh fish. I have a colleague who lives out there, her name is Emily Duggan, and she started in ministry in Lewisburg, Cape Breton. And so I emailed her this week knowing I was gonna preach about fish and asked her for a fish recipe. So she sent me one and it comes with a sweet story. So here's what Emily has to say about the fish cake recipe that she sent. These are her own words. When I started my ministry at the Lewisburg Pastoral Charge, my then fiance and I were still planning our wedding. Lewisburg is a beautiful fishing community on the rugged coastline of Cape Cape Breton. And we knew that we wanted to get married in this place, which represented the beginning of a new part of our lives together. Naturally, we chose the UCW to cater our meal. In Cape Breton, it's traditional to have a turkey dinner at a wedding. And so when word got out, we were planning a wedding the UCW had already started rearranging the freezer to make space for turkey. During the regular meeting of the UCW on a Monday afternoon, the wedding meal was a main item on the agenda. What did you have in mind? They asked. Fish cakes, I replied. Your fish cakes are delicious and we would love for our families to be able to enjoy this traditional Cape Breton dish. A look of horror struck their faces. Fish cakes? For a wedding, it's not fit. Similar to lobster, fish cakes are considered common food and certainly not to be served at a wedding. It may have even been considered offensive to their culinary abilities to serve such a meal. After much debate, I convinced them that my entire family were come from a ways and would consider this choice an absolute delight. By the time of the wedding, I think the entire UCW we're very glad to be making fish cakes instead of cooking turkeys in the summer heat. And as someone who I stood up in the wedding and I got to enjoy that meal, I can say we were all delighted to have fish cakes for wedding dinner. In the ancient Holy Land, fish and fishing were an important part of the lives, specifically of people living along the coast of the Mediterranean and around the Sea of Galilee. Many of the stories about fish and fishermen in the Gospels center on the Sea of Galilee. Fishing here was done primarily at night, and the most plentiful fish then and now were sardines. When it came to dining, fish were fried, as we do today, grilled or broiled. In Roman cuisine, fish were often served in sauce made from broth, wine, and spices. Because of issues with transporting fresh fish, fish would be pickled or more often dried you know, packed with salt, dried over the course of days, and then hung again to dry further. And that would allow them to be transported on a journey or to far markets. A number of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. And it turns out the job description of an ancient fisherman lends itself to discipleship. Teamwork was required to operate the dragnets, the huge dragnets that they used to fish. Patience, strength, and fearlessness was required to operate the cast net, which was uh, used by individual fishermen. Simon, Peter, James, and John were cleaning their nets on the shore after an unproductive night of fishing when Jesus comes along and he gives them instruction to go back out and cast their nets again. They bring in a huge haul of fish, so huge that the nets are straining under the weight After this, the three men leave everything. They leave their boats behind and become his disciples. So a number of his disciples are fishermen, and there are also key moments in Scripture where Jesus himself eats fish. In Luke chapter 24, verses 42, the resurrected Christ asks his disciples, his disciples have all gathered around him and are in disbelief and joy to see him alive. He asks them, have you anything to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish, which he consumes in front of them. In the Gospel of John, Peter and his disciples go fishing after Jesus' death. And this story has echoes of that first call story of fishing. They go out for this night of fishing, maybe to get their minds off of the death of their leader. They catch nothing at all, but in the morning they are met by the risen Christ on the beach. Jesus instructs them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And they pull in, again, an enormous haul of fish. And at that moment, they recognize the risen Lord. They go ashore, and Jesus cooks them a meal of fish on the charcoal fire with bread. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. In a very similar way to the Last Supper, it says that he took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. In fact, in early Christian iconography, it's more common to see a fish and bread used to symbolize the Eucharist than it is a cup and bread. And you know, the kind of church geek minister in me starts to think like, how would you distribute fish for communion? (laughs) Fish and bread. So fish is a really important symbol. And in these stories, it represents abundance and new life. Fish and bread are on the menu in today's gospel reading. From the book of Matthew, Jesus has moved off to a deserted place after he hears about the death of John the Baptist. He likely wants some space, right? He wants to to grieve, to process this information. But a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children seek him out and find him. And when he gets off the boat, he is met by this Needy crowd of people says he has compassion for them and he heals their sick. But as night falls, his disciples become worried. They're in a deserted place, there's nothing to eat. So they advise Jesus to instruct the crowd to leave, to dismiss them so they could go into the villages and purchase something for their dinner. Well, Jesus has another idea. He says, They do not need to go away, you give them something to eat. Of course, the disciples say, well, we have nothing to eat. We only have these five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, bring those to me. Then he tells the crowd to sit down on the grass, and he takes the loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven. He blesses the loaves. He breaks them, and he gives them to the disciples to give to the people. Not only do they have more than enough for people to eat their fill, They have enough to collect extra afterwards, 12 baskets full. What's interesting in the story is the mechanics of the miracle are not described. You know, at what point is there more than enough? At what point are the baskets full as they're being distributed? It's much like our reading from last week, the water in the big vats at the wedding of Cana. We only learn it becomes wine when a cup is taken out to give to the chief steward. So the mechanics of the miracle are not in focus. Perhaps, as Reverend Paul likes to call it, this is the church's very first potluck meal. (laughs) An example of Jesus inspiring people to pool their resources, each contributing what they can, and before they know it, they have more than they need. What we do know is that to start, there is not enough food to feed hungry people. But after Christ's instruction and blessing, There is more than enough. I want to bring to your attention three takeaways from this story. The first is that Jesus cares about hunger. Jesus is concerned to meet the basic needs of all of us. The second is that he expects a great deal of his disciples. Jesus himself doesn't feed the hungry, right? He instructs the disciples to do it. It's a reminder that we are the hands and feet of Christ, doing God's work in the world. But when we need it most, God will give us the power to carry that responsibility. And that is the third takeaway. The disciples balked at Jesus' direction to feed the hungry crowd. They had a scarcity mentality. Too big a problem, too few resources. There just wasn't enough. The solution seemed impossible. And of course, who among us hasn't felt like that at times or felt like that all the time right now? However, when the disciples worked together and trusted Christ, they had more than enough. Abundance is to be found when we feed people in the spirit of Jesus. Today is World Food Sunday, which coincides with World Food Day, a day designated by the UN on October 16th to raise awareness about hunger and the need for healthy diets for all people. Now, when we talk about hunger in the Canadian context, we often use the word food insecurity. And food insecurity can can be categorized in three different categories. The first is marginal. Marginal food insecurity involves worrying about running out of food or having limited food selection due to a lack of money for food. Moderate food insecurity looks like compromising in quality or quantity of food due to a lack of money for food. And severe food insecurity involves missing meals, reducing food intake, and at the most extreme, going days without a meal. When you combine all three categories, there are about 5 million people in Canada who live in households that are food insecure. One million of those children. I recently heard Paul Taylor interviewed on CBC Radio. He made some really interesting points about food insecurity in Canada. He's the executive director of Foodshare. It's an organization in Toronto that is trying to tackle the root causes of food insecurity. They do things like offer cooking programs and healthy school food programs, and they support community gardens and markets and urban agriculture. Taylor explained that while five million people are food insecure in Canada, only about one million access food banks every year. He also explained that there is a racialized element to food insecurity in our country. If you're black in Canada, you are three and a half times more likely to be food insecure than if you're white. So tackling hunger is, yes, about providing meals and immediate relief, but it also has to be about tackling those root causes of hunger, things like poverty and racism. Actually, 60% of people who are food insecure are employed in this country. So what happens is that people have to make really difficult choices between their fixed costs and variable costs. And even as I describe this, I recognize we all have a sense of what this means. And some of us have experienced food insecurity in our lives now or in the past. So folks need to be able to meet their fixed costs. Things like rent medicine, maybe a phone bill, things for them to be able to keep their job or keep their housing. And what needs, what ends up being compromised are those variable costs, which include food. Paul Taylor emphasizes that hunger and food insecurity are not inevitable in our country. There are policies that could be made tomorrow that would end food insecurity and poverty. He describes things like increasing minimum wage, moving toward a basic universal income, creating more affordable housing, introducing pharmacare, those are the things he says are going to have the biggest impact on what people have to eat. As he puts it, better is possible. Everyone in this, one of the richest countries in the world, should be able to at least have a place to sleep and food to eat. World Food Day reminds us that better is possible in our country and around the world. The UN's World Food website has some excellent and accessible ideas for helping us eat healthier food and live more sustainable lives. The great thing is we are already doing a lot as a church to tackle food insecurity. We are supporting important organizations like the Essex Food Bank, like the Downtown Mission, like the Canadian Food Grains Bank, the mission and service of the United Church and others. Every year we are supporting them. The UN site also suggests things like writing to our elected officials to change policies to address food insecurity. They suggest buying and eating locally grown in-season food so that we support our local farmers, encourage crop diversity and also lower our carbon footprint. Our faith in Christ can help us overcome a scarcity mentality in which we feel that there is never enough. Our faith in Christ can move us toward an abundance mentality, trusting that if we follow Christ's direction, seek his blessing, that our efforts will have an impact multiplied beyond what we could have imagined. May it be so. Amen. for the crowd of thousands. Please stand for our final hymn. I would like to close this episode with a prayer written by Kim Long, found in Feasting on the Word, Worship Companion. Let us pray. God of love and liberation, we give thanks for the stories of our faith in which you fed Israel in the wilderness and Jesus fed the hungry crowds that followed him. Like them, we sometimes forget to be grateful for what we have and are consumed by complaining about what we do not have. Like them, we sometimes grab more than our daily bread. Help us to take only what we need and leave the rest for those who hunger. Forgive us when we follow Jesus or pray to you only seeking after our own good. Help us to pray for higher things, for the things that will equip us for the work of ministry and to perform the works of God. Holy One, we pray for the nations of the earth, that the world may know plenty and peace. We pray for those who hunger for bread and for those who hunger for righteousness, that they will be fed what they need. We pray for our church community, for its families, its individuals, its children, for those who are grieving, for those recovering from surgery or illness, for those who are struggling and those who are lonely. We pray for people who are close to our hearts today and we bring those names before you now. Hear these and all our prayers. And in your love, answer. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you sent to be bread for the world. Giver of life, give us this bread always. Amen.